two Barclays analysts. One hot topic, all sides explored. This is The Flip Side. The Flip Side is a podcast series featuring lively debate between two Barclays research analysts, taking opposing viewpoints on timely topics of importance to economies and businesses around the globe. Welcome to this episode of The Flip Side. I'm Jeff Melly, the head of research at Barclays. I'm joined today by Manish Deshpande, our U.S. equity strategist. Thanks for joining me, Manish. Thanks for having me, Jeff. All right. Today, we're going to talk about the U.S. equity markets. After having quite a run last year, stocks started off 2022 with a big sell-off and a big surge in volatility. That's right, Jeff. Year-to-date, U.S. stocks have been quite volatile, with the S&P 500 index down 10% at one point. Even more remarkable has been the volatility. We've had multiple days where markets have been up or down several percent points, and the intraday volatility has been extreme as well. Now, markets have stabilized since then, albeit at lower levels, but I think we are in for a choppy year still. The forces driving the volatility in January, such as high rates, are not going away, and there are big changes coming to consumers that will pose a real headwind for stocks. Well, I disagree, Manish. I think investors are overestimating the extent to which rates will rise. And big companies in the U.S., I think, are very well positioned to continue to make money in this environment. I'll start with my more pessimistic outlook. The biggest driver right now is the Fed. It has signaled very strongly that it is about to start to tighten monetary policy to combat inflation that has been surprisingly persistent. Yeah, that's right. We're forecasting that the U.S. Federal Reserve will hike interest rates five times this year. We also think that it will end the asset purchases that it started at the height of the COVID pandemic both low, really zero interest rates and the asset purchases were used to support the economy and markets at the start of the pandemic. But at this point, we're back to full employment. Inflation is high and these measures are no longer needed and they might even be doing harm. Mind you, I'm not that convinced how much hiking is actually going to be necessary. Well, necessary or not, it's coming, Jeff. And we have a long history of what happens to equities during a hiking cycle. Equity valuations, that is, how much the market is willing to pay for future earnings fall. Yeah, there are a lot of reasons why that relationship exists. So first of all, as rates rise, investors have more options to generate yield. So they don't need to be so heavily invested in equities. Also, when interest rates are higher, the cost of borrowing goes up. So corporate debt is more expensive and corporations are less likely to make big investments that are going to generate future growth. So all of that combines to lower equity valuations. Yeah, and as the hiking cycle progresses, the current one, that is, I expect multiples to fall, just like history suggests. This process is going to lead to more volatility over the course of the year. A major problem, by the way, is that valuations are quite high right now for U.S. equities, which means they have more room to fall. For example, consider the price-to-earnings multiple, which is the ratio of the market value of a stock to its current earnings, which is a common way to judge valuations. Currently, this is around 20 for the S&P 500. That is 10% higher versus pre-pandemic levels. Well, Manish, I have two objections to this narrative. First of all, at this point, the U.S. Federal Reserve has very well telegraphed the path forward. Investors have reacted. Uh, for example, um, you know, in interest rate markets, these hikes are fully reflected. I don't see why equity markets should continue to react to a series of events that we should all see coming months ahead of time. Yeah, the market is actually more aggressive than what we are forecasting. And it's pricing in six to seven hikes this year, and even a 90% probability that there would be 50 basis point hike in March. However, I would note that 
know, equity and fixed income investors' views are not always aligned. There is a big difference between knowing or at least expecting that rates will rise and seeing it in reality. I suspect many traditional equity investors might only react when the rates actually go up. Well, Manish, my other objection is that you're only giving part of the history. It is true that equity multiples fall, as you say, during a hiking cycle. But it's also true that at the start of a hiking cycle, equity prices don't fall. Instead, equity prices just rise more slowly than they were doing before. That's because earnings keep going up. Companies typically make money during hiking cycles, usually because they coincide with pretty strong economic conditions. So investors get a lower multiple on higher earnings, but the net is still higher prices. That's kind of an important piece to leave out. I'm not leaving it out, actually, Jeff. I think what I'm trying to say here is that I think this time around is going to be quite different from what history suggests. And the main reason for this is that I think corporate earnings are not going to rise in this cycle, or at least you know, not by enough to outweigh lower multiples. The reason for this is a reversal in some COVID-related changes in consumer spending that are going to affect corporate profits. You know, consumer spending in the U.S. has undergone an amazing transition over the pandemic, where we all shifted our spending away from services and into goods. So in percentage terms, goods have gone from about 30% of consumer spending pre-pandemic to about 35% right now. That's a 5% shift. might not sound like that much, but keep in mind how much money U.S. consumers spend every year. That 5% equates to something like $800 billion of extra spending on goods each year. It is a shocking shift. Anyone trying to buy a car, an appliance, some furniture has seen that all of this extra spending has resulted in backlogs and scarcity. Services like travel and entertainment were obviously impaired during the pandemic, most notably from 2020, and still haven't recovered. Yeah, I mean, the shift from services to goods isn't really surprising. First, like you said, for a period of time, we simply couldn't spend on services. Things were just shut down. Um, and then some of the shift is because of the nature of the pandemic. So like we all had to buy home office good, you know, goods, for example. Yes, while the rotation from services to consumption was not surprising, in my mind, the magnitude was quite shocking. I think this was a direct result of the extraordinary levels of fiscal stimulus passed in the U.S. during the pandemic. You know, we clearly see this in the fact that the goods consumption spiked during those three months when the fiscal stimulus checks were mailed out. Either in other countries, while there was a similar substitution, the magnitude of the shift was not as large as we have seen in the U.S. Just to put the fiscal stimulus in perspective, we think it was more than four times the amount of wages lost as millions of people lost their jobs. All right. But once the pandemic fears ease, services consumption should rebound, and that should be good for GDP and good for profits. Sure, except our analysis shows something quite different, which is that the goods demand is what really drives corporate profits. That's why corporate profits had such a spectacular run during the pandemic. But this cannot last. Eventually, spending will normalize. We are two or three years ahead of trend on good spending. And when that reverses, earnings will fall. I think that might just start this year as Omicron fades and we hopefully get back to some semblance of normalcy. I think it's a strange sentiment, Manish, since the U.S. is such a services-oriented economy. I mean, surely there's got to be lots of listed companies in the services sector. It is a bit surprising. You're right that there are certainly listed companies in the services business, but keep in mind what the Bureau of Economic Analysis, which puts out these numbers, calls services, is really the, the wide swath of services, including things like, you know, doctors, lawyers, hairdressers, small retail stores, etc. Most listed companies actually traffic in goods. 
I think one reason why investors are not focused on this point historically is that we have never seen this type of divergence between goods and services consumption before. The sensitivity to goods was in the data. Our analysis shows that, but it just wasn't that important because the two types of spendings were so highly correlated. Well, Manish, that good story is interesting, but I've got a different take on the path forward. And we'll start same place you did with the prospect for higher rates. But I think we're overestimating how high rates are actually going to go. Do you think the market is wrong? Well, I mean, look, the, there's almost no doubt at all about the near-term path. Rates are going to go higher immediately. It's really a question of just how many hikes we actually get this year. And I think that the supply side issues that have driven inflation are likely to ease much more quickly than we realize. And that will reduce how much hiking actually needs to happen. The first supply side issue that I think could ease is problems with supply chains. But just Jeff, supply chains are still remain in disarray. Companies can't get goods to consumers and scarcity is driving up prices. And keep in mind that this story was there for the last six months and has lasted longer than most economists expected. Yes, but the Omicron wave is receding in the U.S. at this point pretty quickly. It's basically following the same trajectory it did in other countries like South Africa that experienced it before us. And you combine that with improved therapeutics, I think we could be looking at a major reduction in the effect of COVID on supply chains. And those problems could ease pretty quickly, I think, if the virus fears abate. Not that convinced. A lot of supply chain issues are overseas, and I suspect the U.S. will get the therapeutics before other parts of the world. And as long as China, which is a very important manufacturing hub, continues its zero COVID policy, we will see the supply chain problems continue. Keep in mind, China is still shutting down whole cities at the first sign of a COVID outbreak. You know, I think the international point is a good one, Manish, but I would also keep in mind what could happen to goods prices if you're right about the change in consumption. We could see serious deflation in goods prices. I think it's likely that companies are over-ordering now because of the problems with supply chains. They're trying to bulk up their inventory, get whatever they can uh, onto their shelves or to their consumers. Um, and, and if we end up with a glut of goods and, and, and the consumption shifts, you could see goods price really fall. That would by itself reduce the need to hike interest rates. Yes, but there are other components of inflation, for example, those linked to housing, and even more recently, those linked to services, which have begun to form. So I think that is what is really worrying the Fed and to some extent the market, that it's not just that the headline inflation is going up, but it is widening to other, other categories. And these other categories are much more sticky. They do not turn on the dime. But, you know, all this bolsters my case that we are in for a volatile year. I want to emphasize, though, that I agree with you that the economy might do well, which will give the Fed more leeway to continue hiking, I think. But the key thing is that the decoupling of corporate profits with the economy, that I expect, could be a headwind for equities. You know, also, Manish, supply chains are only part of the inflation story. Uh, the other part that I think could have an effect is the millions of people who are working pre-COVID who are still out of the workforce. One reason, I think probably the most important reason, that they've remained out of the workforce is lingering fears about the virus. I think those were only made worse by Omicron. As that fades, the workforce could expand by literally millions of workers. That would be another boost to supply. I think it is unrealistic to expect everyone to come back to work, Jeff. At least some of the change in labor force participation is cultural, I think. People have a different view of work-life balance now, what they want out of careers, etc. Well, that is true. But I'd point out, I don't need all of the missing workers to return and all problems with supply chains to go away. 
to remove some of the pressure on the Federal Reserve. I think some improvement along both of those dimensions could allow the Fed to get a grip on inflation much more easily than people currently expect and therefore need to hike by less. That would remove one of the major catalysts for volatility, which, again, I think sounds pretty good for stocks. Well, all of this requires a return to a more normal operating environment. But I think that, again, bolsters my point, I think, that you know, all this will come with reduced goods consumption, and that is bad for stocks. All right, well, I think there's another piece of the puzzle that is supportive of big co- public companies. Many economists believe that large companies in the United States have accumulated what's called market power. That's the ability to set prices, either the prices they pay, like to their workers or their suppliers, or the prices that they charge to their consumers. We agree with this. Our analysis shows that many important sectors in the U.S. do exhibit the signs of market power. And if that's right, the big companies in those sectors will be able to defend their margins and remain very profitable despite any of the headwinds that you're talking about. It is the case that margins have been very robust through the pandemic. But actually, the most recent data speaks against your theory, I think. One theme in the Q4 2021 earnings that have in the process of being announced is that margins appear to have begun to fall. So it doesn't appear that companies have been able to pass through all the recent inflation to their customers as they were able to do last year. Also, given the supply chain pressures, companies have been meeting demand by dipping into inventory, which was, of course, accumulated earlier at lower prices. As they rebuild those at current prices, they could begin to see some margin pressures. Well, this is just the early trend, though, Manish. I mean, over time, inflation will give these companies the air cover they need to raise prices. Look, corporates may have been caught flat-footed by this surge in inflation, just like everybody else, but they do have the ability to adjust, and companies with market power have even more ability to adjust. Who could tell if higher prices are because of increased wage costs, problems with supply chains, or rather specifically intended to support the bottom line? I'm also worried about the steps that the Biden administration is taking to counter this. Between a more skeptical view of mergers and a host of industry-specific proposals to address the use of market power, I think companies in the U.S. may struggle to use this to their advantage in the future. You know, the administration is trying to address this issue, but they're basically going after every industry at once, partly because they associate market power with market share. And it is the case that big companies have increased their market share in just about every industry in the U.S. But our analysis shows that the issues with market power are actually more narrow. Many industries that are highly concentrated don't actually have any of the other signs of pricing power that are more problematic. So I think the administration is spreading itself too thinly. It's trying to solve problems that don't exist, and that makes its efforts likely to be less successful even when they actually have a point. But keep in mind that this is not just a U.S. problem. So as you know, Europe has had much more success on this issue and is more aggressive in taking action. Most large U.S. companies are are international. So I don't think we should rely on market power as a buffer against all the headwinds I see for stocks. Well, we're going to see this uh, play out pretty quickly since we believe the first rate hikes are coming in March. Well, thanks for joining me, Manish. Clients of Barclays can lead our latest research on equity strategy Outlook 2022, Proceed with Caution, and Equity Strategy, Too Early to Buy the Dip, both available on Barclays Live. That's all for now from this Barclays podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the flip side. For more insights on this topic, clients can log into Barclays Live or find out more at barclays.com slash CIB.